With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Speak the Truth podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Matt Tardio. Rob is out. He should be back actually here in the next uh, couple days. So hopefully on Friday you guys get to see his face. Today's episode is being sponsored by Hillsdale College. Thank you, Hillsdale College. Now, we've got a lot. I, I, like, I don't know what the hell happened in between Monday and today. Well, I know exactly what happened in between Monday and today, but it's like everything exploded. This episode is being taped Wednesday, July 19th at about 1030 in the morning. Okay, So what has happened over the last couple of days is absolute, I don't want to call it absolute insanity, but it's, it's pretty wild, some of the things that are going on. So things that we're going to be going over today. We're going to go over the U.S. not backing the Kerch Bridge attack. We're going to be going over Russia attacking Odessa. And we're going to actually discuss, and I think some of you might be a little bit triggered by this, but again, i got to report what I know to be true. We're going to go over whether or not Ukraine is actually going to win this war and what they're going to need to do in order to win it. I've got another video of a Ukrainian service member that has surrendered. And then for some ungodly reason, some U.S. soldier decided to dart across the line of the DMZ. And I'll probably tell you another war story, too. Who knows, man? All right. So the U.S., for some reason, is not backing the Kerch Bridge attack. And I think I know why. We don't take it upon ourselves to determine legitimacy or illegitimacy of targets that the Ukrainians hit. They're fighting for their own country. On the, um, the Kerch Bridge... Uh, this is a situation that we're, um, we're monitoring. Of course, uh, Ukraine has to decide how it conducts this war in defense of its, uh, its territory, uh, its people, um, its freedom. So there you have it. The United States government doesn't even want to say whether or not Ukraine was right or wrong for attacking that bridge. Why the hell would the United States not back up Ukraine? I mean, if we're willing to give them cluster munitions, if we're willing to provide all of this military support, but we're not willing to defend that that bridge is a legitimate military target. Now, Russia saying that that bridge doesn't get used for resupplying its troops in Crimea. Now, that's what would make it, at least in the United States' eyes, a legitimate military target. If Russia is using that bridge for military purposes, right, if they are if they're moving troops and equipment across that bridge, to support the war, then it turns it into a legitimate military target and pretty much the eyes of any country, really. And, you know, that bridge was targeted, at, I want to say it was like 3 a.m., like early, early morning. And, and Russia is reporting that the mother and father were killed and the daughter was wounded. Um, really sad situation, okay? But it is a war. Let's just go ahead and throw that out there. It is a war and there is going to be casualties, both civilian and military, when you conduct warfare. It just, it happens, Okay, like it's just one of those things that it happens. It's, it's sad. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just telling you that in war, people die. That's what happens. And if you think you can wage a war without having any civilian casualties, you're dead wrong. I'm pretty sure Ukraine conducted that attack in the middle of the night in order to avil, avoid civilian casualties along with detection. Right. But how many people are traveling across that bridge at three o'clock in the morning shouldn't really be that much. All right. So 
there, why the U.S. decides not to back them is, is really a question, especially because I, I think what it has to do with is that Russia is now blaming the West for the attack, or they're looking to place blame on the West for the attack. We still have to figure out to what extent Western and in particular British intelligence services were involved in the preparation and implementation of the terrorist attack. There are too many indications of this. All these facts indicate that there are no crimes that the West is not ready to commit in order to preserve its hegemony. No matter how much you try to act as defenders of Ukraine, your actions give you away. So that was a Russian ambassador saying that he's looking at the West for planning and helping in planning that attack. And there's several reasons he did that. One, the, the how do you, what do you, what do you call it, Seacraft? I, I don't know. But the, the seaborne drones that were used in order to conduct the attack, they're saying came out from the Brits. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, they're talking about intelligence being part of it. So did the West have a part in doing that? And that's a big deal when NATO just decided to step up four additional brigades and put them on the lines of uh, Russia. And now if we're not only supplying them equipment, but also intelligence and everything else in order to attack what Russia is saying is not a legitimate military target. They're saying they haven't been moving anybody across it. And, that, and that's what they're claiming. And so they're saying that it's not a good legitimate military target. But why did Ukraine attack that bridge? Right. Aside from it being a good in my eyes, I, I just don't see Russia not moving troops and equipment across that bridge. Let's be real. But they did that on the eve, okay, of the grain deal expiring. And Russia vowed, they vowed retaliation. And boy, did they freaking retaliate. Boy, did they retaliate. They, for the last two nights in a row, they've been attacking the ports at Odessa. The first night, um, that they did it. They they literally waited up until the moment that the deal expired and then end up targeting Odessa with both cruise missiles and with drones, or what's being stated is cruise missiles and drones going in. Ukraine's saying that they haven't taken any casualties over there, but when I show you this video here in a second, I think what you're going to agree with is that that's a lot of boom boom for zero casualties uh, <laughs> going on over there. So, Russia decides to launch its own attacks on Crimea. Ukraine, then the first night, ends up sending drones that Russia says they shoot down all of them. Okay, so the first night, Russia says they shoot down all of the drones that Ukraine had sent over into Crimea to attack Russian targets. Well, last night, Ukraine answered back with a couple uh, cruise missiles themselves and ended up taking out a very large ammo depot that, to the, <laughs> the moment of this reporting, it's still exploding and on fire. So... They went back. Well, let's take a look just to give you an appreciation. I mean, just to give you a true appreciation for what that looked like. Let's go ahead and play that video for you real quick. Now, if you're watching this from, or I'm sorry, if you're listening on a podcast platform, it is just thousands of trace rounds going up into the sky, knocking Russian, uh, incoming out this guy you can hear the car alarms going off it's just a it's a lot it's a lot now that video was taken by cnn they had a reporter on the ground inside of odessa and as all of that was going on obviously russia starts attacking firepower goes off and they get the video captured 
what you actually saw inside of that video was the system that's used to track and knock munitions out the sky. So all of that's being done. I, I don't want to call it AI, but yeah, it's kind of AI uh, tracking the incoming fire and shooting it out of the sky. They just just launch thousands of rounds at these things um, in order to, to take them down. They're Gatling guns that are shooting into the sky in order to knock them out. So Russia decides to answer back and do that, and they're attacking the port. What Russia is claiming took place that caused them to cancel the grain deal, I, you know what? I'm going to let them speak for themselves, and then I'm going to I'm going to break it down just just a little bit. For a whole year, the grain deal was a one-way game. The least developed countries did not receive even 3%. Since these facts are too hard-hitting and speak for themselves, the Black Sea Initiative was simply reformatted from humanitarian to commercial without too much noise. Russia will be ready to consider its restoration only after receiving concrete results and not promises and assurances from Western capitals. So there's that same Russian ambassador again, and there's a couple important things to note inside that video. I'm going to talk about a couple more things that weren't in that video. Important thing to note, number one, is that he said that they are ready to go back into the grain deal. Well, they're like blowing up the damn port, so it's not going to be running for the foreseeable future, probably, uh, with the amount of munition that's been dumped on that port. Apparently, the port itself was directly targeted. The other thing to note is that he said that it started off as a humanitarian deal and then it went into commercial. Now, what that, am, what that ambassador didn't state was that Russia is also claiming that they were, Ukraine specifically, was using that grain deal in order to uh, move weapons and ammunition in and out of the country. So they were using that port, according to Russia, for military purposes. And just like I had talked about on the bridge, if they're using it for legitimate military purposes, one, they're going against the grain deal, so Russia's got every, if that's true, Russia has every right to not re, re-up it, okay? But I, I don't know why they wouldn't have canceled it immediately. That's the first question that comes to mind is that, look, if you guys are doing this, why didn't they just cancel it in the first place? They should have. They should have just canceled the grain deal in the first place. If, if they thought for some reason that Ukraine was actually moving weapons and military equipment through that port, they should have canceled it. That's number one. Number two, they're saying... They're saying that they went from a humanitarian deal up to a commercial deal. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, debatable. And maybe that's a loose translation that I'm not picking up on. But humanitarian, commercial. So because they're using it for commercial purposes, because they're moving military equipment in and out, Russia said, kiss our We're shutting this deal down. And then they attacked the port. That's what happened. And because of that, now that port is not, not I mean, there's huge implications as far as Ukraine goes. There's huge implications as far as Africa goes. But Russia was saying, I think less than 3% of it was going to humanitarian efforts anyways. And a lot of it was just being sold on the commercial market. So a lot of it didn't even, a lot of the grain and everything that everybody was complaining about didn't even make it to Africa, according to Russia. And it was just being sold on the global market. So not only was Ukraine using it for military purposes, but they were using it uh, basically to make money. So uh, Ukraine's not, uh, um, I, I, I just, I don't see Russia coming back from that. I, I don't see Russia reopening that, that grain deal, regardless of what that ambassador had just said. He did say that it would take concrete results, not reassurances from the West in order to open it. Well, good luck getting that, my friend. Okay. It's been about a little over a month since the Ukrainian counteroffensive 
has been launched. And we have seen little territorial gains as far as Ukraine goes. They've they've tried pushing um, across the Dnipro River, no success. Uh, they've made some small gains in Zaporozhye. They've made some small gains around Bakhmut. They've, they've made some territorial gains. I'm not saying Ukraine hasn't made any gains whatsoever, but it's been very minute. And there was Ukrainian officials talking about, hey, we're going to be in uh, we're going to be in Crimea swimming here in, by the end of summertime. And that is pretty clear to me at this point that that's just something that's not going to happen. So last video I talked about and I told you that one of the big issues that they're coming up against is the minefields and the layered defenses that Ukraine is facing. But don't take my word for it. Here is the chief of staff, Mark Milley, um, the chief of staff of the United States Armed Forces, uh, General Milley. So let's go ahead and take a listen to what he has to say about it. The casualties that the Ukrainians are suffering uh, on this offensive are not so much from uh, Russian air power. They're from minefields. Uh, minefields that are covered with direct fire from uh, anti-tank uh, hunter killer teams, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's minefields. So the problem to solve is minefields, not the airpiece right right this minute. Um, and and that's what the coalition is trying to provide them, additional mine clearing, miklicks, line charges, bangalores, that sort of thing, in order to continue to work their way uh, through, the, uh, through the minefields. So I, I'm confident that they can do this, and especially if they execute the tactics, techniques, and procedures that they've been taught, which they are doing. Uh, and execute these operations at night, which would deny the uh, Russians the ability to use any of their air power anyway. Uh, so the real problem is the minefields. So the minefields are the problem, all right? And that's what he's counting on, clutch munitions and miklicks. So if you're not familiar with any of these, it's mine-clearing. The, the miklicks are a giant. They end up shooting out a giant line charge of C4 on a rocket strip. I want to say it's a, a eight, 7 or 8-meter by 100-meter long line. All right, that they end up blasting out and then it blows a, a path. All right, it's supposed to detonate anything in that path for vehicles and personnel to pass down and through. Uh, here's the problem, General Milley. All right, even let's say Russia doesn't have night vision for all of its troops, and you end up launching a Miklik in the middle of the night that goes down and it explodes. That's a giant signature. And whether or not they have night vision or not, they can then direct artillery fire onto that one known clear location that Ukraine's going to be pushing through. And they can do um, grazing fire with their machine guns all across that area and, and just kill anybody that tries to, to move in and about it. So whether it's the minefields or we give them the Miklicks or not, they still have to make all their way through that defense. And that's where that artillery kind of comes into play to where, hey, look, if we launch this Miklik and it goes down, then the next step and prior to that, honestly, should be having that artillery raining down to keep the Russian heads down so that they can then go in and push through those lines, right? But what about air power? I think I talked last week, and maybe it was Monday, maybe it was last week, but I talked and I said air power was very important and they had to get the F-16s up online. Well, Millie addressed that as well. Let's take a listen. Are you a few years, maybe a few decades out of school wondering what the heck did I even learn? What was the point of this? Maybe you guys were wishing you'd take a little bit more time to read something and studying just a little bit more, I don't know, maybe meaningful. Something that's lasting and profound. Well, if that's you, hey, guess what? Then know this. One, you're not alone. And two, it's not too late. I'm sure you guys live a busy life like we all do. And because of that, you might be thinking to yourself, you don't have time to learn something new. But time is actually all that you have. 
You should use much of it as you possibly can. You can discover many things that make you better and help you know what is best. Since 1844, and yes, I said that correctly, 1844, Hillsdale College has been providing an education in faith, freedom, and character because they believe that a virtuous citizen is the best defense for liberty. That's why they've taken some of the core classes they teach on campus and made them available for free online to anybody who wants to learn them. That's right, for free. The U.S. Constitution, C.S. Lewis, the Book of Genesis, World War II, free market economics, any of these things sound interesting to you guys, maybe even a little bit intimidating, then let Hillsdale College be your guide. I absolutely love World War II. I'm literally on a trip right now looking around in France at some World War II stuff. I love it. Go check them out. You guys need to, if you guys like that kind of stuff, they have a free course just for you. Over 3 million people have taken a course at Hillsdale College and it's been online. Go check them out. There's 39 free courses to choose from. They're easy to follow. They're self-paced, so you guys can start whenever you guys want. In fact, you can start one right now, and it's everything you need all in one place with no long-term commitment. Learn when and where you want. Enroll now at Hillsdale's Not For Credit online course program. It's free, it's fun, and it will get the change you need to understand your country, the world, and the place in it. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash rob to enroll. There's no cost, and it's very easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu forward slash rob to get registered. It'll be linked to the very top of the description. Thank you so much to Hillsdale for sponsoring this episode. Uh, so the real problem is the minefields. It's not right now the air power. Uh, now, having said that, <clears throat> just... Do a quick math drill here. Uh, 10 F-16s are $2 billion. So the Russians have hundreds of fourth and fifth generation uh, uh, airframes. So if they're going to try to match the Russians one for one or even you know two to one, uh, you're talking about a large number of aircraft. That's going to take years to train the pilots, years to do the maintenance and sustainment, years to uh, generate that uh, degree of uh, financial support to do that. You're talking way more billions of dollars than has already been generated. So. Uh, the key thing is to focus on air defense, focus on the, the uh, blocking and tackling sort of offensive combined arms maneuver, which is artillery, uh, at both long-range and short-range artillery, uh, and then get in uh, your engineers and your, your mine-breaching equipment. That's the kind of stuff they need. That's what they want. That's what they're asking for. So Millie's saying it's going to take years in order to get those F-16s online. It's going to take years to get the funding for it, and I kind of couldn't help but agree. It was in the back of my mind, and I was waiting on confirmation for that stuff to come out before I can say anything on it. But to get that much air power in order to get, maintain air superiority, that's going to take some time, right? And it's time that the Ukrainians, honestly, they just don't have. They, they don't. Why do I say that? Okay, so it is well known, well known that both sides, both Ukrainian and Russian, are very hard-pressed to talk anything about their specific casualty rates. Now, they will point to the other side and they'll say, wait a minute, Ukraine lost X amount of troops. And I think the last time I checked on Ukrainian's website, it was showing like 225,000 Russians um, killed or wounded at this point. I've seen other estimates up to about half a million all right, Russians killed and or wounded in the current conflict. And Russia right now, okay, they are claiming that about 26,000, all right, and, and this came from uh, Shogu. All right. Shogu said that there was around 26,000 Ukrainians that had been killed just it, for, during the counteroffensive. That's what Shogu claimed. All right. 26,000 Ukrainians killed. We estimate, okay, the, the media itself estimates that around 60,000 Ukrainians had been trained up for this counteroffensive. So 60,000 for the counteroffensive along that entire line, 60,000 Ukrainians. 
Russia is claiming 26,000, almost half of their troops so far have been either killed and or wounded during the counteroffensive. On top of that, they're meeting great resistance along the way. And let's not even talk about the freaking dam that got blown. All right. That caused even more issues. I don't think Ukraine is in a very good position to continue on with this offensive until they, they can regroup. They they're making, they're making gains. They're making minute territorial gains in isolated areas. They really are. But as a whole, it's not really moving that line back, and they're 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 not able to cut over and, and cut these Russians off. They just don't have the manpower. They don't have the equipment. They they don't have what they need in order to make it happen. Which is why Millie is focusing on talking about artillery and and everything else and, and all this mine clearing equipment because they need it in order to make advancements. But even if they had it, do they actually have the troops to take that amount of terrain? I don't think that they really do. So the Institute Study for War, or the ISW, all right, the, they came back on that statement of the twenty six thousand. They said it was uh, what what they call it. Hold on, I've got it written down here. I don't I don't want to misquote them. All right, they stated that it was implausible, or it was an implausible claim. And Russia has been known to overinflate things quite a bit. But let's even say that that number is overinflated. Let's cut it down to say twenty thousand troops killed or wounded. I think that's pretty reasonable. For a number, I, I don't know if he's overstating it. He very well could be. But I think 20,000 is a pretty reasonable number given the scale of the attacks that they have been launching as far as the amount of Ukrainians all right, that have been killed and or wounded. Uh, I think 20,000 is a good number. That's still a third of that force that they had committed to go into that fight. On the high end, 30,000, that's half, right? It, it's not that big of a leap. And, and that number is going to get reached eventually. Now, I've seen lots of reports Lots of reports uh, in Lviv, Kiev, all sorts of places that there is platoons, all right? Like we're talking like 30 plus people or 30 plus soldiers that are going around and rounding up Ukrainian citizens and and telling them that they're going to fight. They're gathering up men and sending men saying, hey, you're going to go fight. You're going to go fight. You're going to go fight. Um, and they're taking them. And it's reported, all right, unconfirmed. I, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe. So again, it could be propaganda. Okay. But it is being reported that the reason they have such a high number a platoon size worth of people going around and gathering up is because the people are fighting back from the Ukrainian government saying that they don't want to go fight, which I find highly unbelievable. Like truthfully, I find that to be kind of propaganda, but I would think that most of the fighting age males in Ukraine, if they're still in that country, that they have stepped up in order to go fight if they're willing to. Now, I'm going to play a video for you from the Chief of Staff of the Defense Intelligence Agency. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with the DIA, they work very closely all right, with, uh, th let's say, other three-letter agencies within inside the United States government. All right. So the DIA Chief of Staff said this. Let's give it a listen. Uh, certainly, we are at a bit of a stalemate. Uh, we do see incremental gains uh, by Ukraine. Uh, as they commit to this counteroffensive over the summer, but we haven't seen anything to really uh, help them break through, you know, for example, to drive to the Crimea. Um, it's interesting to me, we, we tend to focus on some of the munitions that we, uh, the West provides to Ukraine as they fight this out. 
uh, and we look at some of them as holy grails as they, they play out. So if you think of HIMARS, certainly that led to some sensational uh, tactical events. And then you see the Storm Shadow uh, missile doing the same thing. So there you go. The chief of staff, the DIA, says that they are in a stalemate, and he doesn't believe. Okay, So this is very high up individual within the intelligence community saying he doesn't think that Ukraine's got the ability to take terrain. So don't take my word for it. There's the DIA chief of staff telling you that Ukraine is currently not capable of reaching the object, their stated objectives. They're not able to do it. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying this to, to take a dump on Ukraine, okay, because they are putting up a hell of a good fight. I don't think anybody had predicted, I know I sure didn't, that Ukraine would still be in the position that they're in. Um, now, granted, a lot of it has to do with the military equipment, Okay, and, and the funding that's been provided to Ukraine, I don't think Ukraine would have stood a chance if it wasn't for us providing all of that equipment all right, and all of that money and all of the training and everything that foreign governments and the Western governments have given Ukraine. They just they wouldn't have stood a chance. So we're 100% keeping them propped up in order to keep this fight going. Now, the New York Times last week had reported that the Ukrainian military lost about 20% of its weapons given to them during the counteroffensive alone, all right, so 20% of the weapons and equipment that the West has given Ukraine has been lost during the counteroffensive. Now, if the New York Times is saying that 20% of the equipment was lost during the counteroffensive, and we know that Ukraine had committed, or we estimate that Ukraine had committed about 60,000 troops going into that. Now, some of those were APCs, armored personnel carriers. Some of them, you know, were artillery pieces, you name it. But 60% of the equipment, or I'm sorry, 20% of the equipment had been lost. Okay, it is reasonable for me to assume that a very high number of Ukrainians have been either killed or wounded going into that. So whether or not we take that 26,000 figure and we say that's accurate, that's fine. All right, But we know that there is a large loss to the Ukrainian force that has taken place during this counteroffensive. And the DIA chief himself states, it ain't going to happen. They're just not there. So what's that leave Ukraine to do? They got to go back and they got to refit. Right? They're going to have to regroup. They're going to have to reorganize. And they're going to have to take this attack again. That's what's going to have to happen. It's just... I, 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 I hope the best for Ukraine. And, and, I, and I have done my best to remain neutral on this channel, which is why you're getting this report and not like a, a good let's go Ukraine video. Okay, Because I, like I told you, they are taking terrain. I do believe all of that, but I also believe that they are, one, have depleted a massive amount of the U.S. stockpile of ammunition, okay? Now, we're reserving our own, okay, for national defense purposes, but we can't produce weapons as quick as they're they're firing them. We can't produce the barrels fast enough, and we sure can't produce the artillery shells fast enough that you the, the current rate Ukraine is going at. We've already talked about that. So if we're not able to produce it, and we've shipped them a ton of cluster munitions, which is fine to help them out in the meantime... I just I, I don't think Ukraine has the ability to to push and to move forward and to reach their objectives. And if they do push, they might capture a little, capture a couple key cities or a couple main supply routes, things of that nature. But that's probably going to be about the end of it that we see as far as this goes. I hope I eat that statement, right? I really do. Um, but you know, we'll see. So I last week I showed the video of the Russian torture room. Okay, and we've got numerous reports of Russia killing its the 
it's POWs that, that they end up taking off the front line and we get numerous reports of lots of things on, on that side and we've pushed that propaganda. I want to play for you another side. And I'm not a Russian sympathizer. Stop beating me up. All right. But I do want to play this video for you. You have to excuse it because I it came off TikTok. I'm just going to let you know that right now. All right. But it is a very interesting video of a Rush or a Ukrainian unit attempting attempting to surrender to a Russian unit. So let's give that video a listen. Um, I will narrate and talk through it for you guys. Whether or not this video is legitimate is in question. I'll let you come up with that. Uh, to me, it looks a little staged, but part of it, not so much. I'll tell you why I think it's staged afterwards. So it is what you're listening to is audio recording of Ukrainian unit attempting to surrender to a Russian unit via radio. Russia, it says, had dropped flyers onto the front lines and the Ukrainian commander had contacted the Russian commander on the emergency channel that they've given. And he says, we're sending in, uh, what he's basically describing is that, hey, I've got 10 guys. We're set out here. Reinforcements tried to come and get us. Y'all had sent uh, mortar fire on top of us and numerous members of our unit are wounded and we would like to surrender. He's, he's, now he's trying to figure out where he's at. He says, like, what wood line, what strip, where, where are you? And the Ukrainians saying there's a couple burnt-out vehicles maybe about 20 minutes ago during the, during the mortar strike. You guys were shooting at us, to give you an idea. So now the Russians are saying, I think it's from B-14. They're going to go ahead and contact over to that guy. He tells the Ukrainian, don't do anything, don't open fire. Ukrainian says, got it. Now he's contacting the uh, Russian mortar team, I believe. Said, so a group of Ukrainians about 500 meters out, south of B-14, would be a reference point, says that 20 minutes ago tubes worked on them. Clarify, please, did I understand correctly where they are? You copy? They said, if it is them, that's, that's amazing. And he says, yes, eight minutes ago, we'd sent some orders over there. Said 500 meters south of B-14, five are wounded, and they are ready to surrender. Laying low, waiting for further. I'll tell them not to do anything for now. Said, I understand. Now the Russian's calling him back. Says, hey, friend, you there? Yep. So we understand where you are. Lay low. Don't do anything help the wounded and do not open fire artillery will not fire at you if any other groups approach you they will be hit but not you lay low calmly and wait for instructions ukrainian says a firm thank you very much and the russian said that's amazing i'm not saying the russians are good but i will tell you from my personal experiences fighting overseas i used to be very pissed off um early on in my fighting days, I used to get very pissed off at the enemies that we were fighting. I used to get very pissed off at them. Every time one of my friends got hurt or killed, I wanted blood. Not going to lie to you. I wanted blood. As I got older and as I spent more time in combat, I started to get sympathy for my, or not sympathy, I guess, empathy would be the right word. Empathy for our enemies that we were fighting in a respect. 
And I think if this video is real, this is the only way I can actually validate it. If, if this video is real, I feel that this Russian commander, right, probably has some sort of empathy for these Ukrainians for what they're going through and what they're facing. And if they want more Ukrainians to surrender, if they are in the position which I just spent the last 20 minutes describing, they're going to want them to surrender. And the way that they're going to get them to actually do that is through propaganda like this. Reasons I don't think it's real has to do with a lot. Okay. Uh, one, the little romantic music playing in the background. It's very obvious to me that they put that video together specifically for propaganda. They pause, somebody pulled out their phone in order to record the incident, number one. So if the incident is real, yes, I do think, I do believe that. What what happened afterwards, though, and the propaganda that goes into it, I am not, I, I, I will not vouch for Russia because they have been more than well-documented beating and killing Ukrainian troops that have surrendered. At the same time, so is Ukraine. Let's be real. There, there's videos of uh, Russian soldiers being kneecapped all right, by Ukrainians and, and things like that after they have surrendered. So, But that, truthfully, that's that's part of it. That's just a lot of the anger and things like that that go into war, right? When your friends are being killed and, and they're going back and forth, but eventually you do gain some kind of sympathy. And I think if this commander is real and this video is real, what he is probably trying to do is to use it to push it out and blast and show Ukrainian troops, look, we're going to show you mercy and it's, it's cool for you to surrender. I don't, I'm not going to say whether it's, 100% real, but it, it could be. All right. That's your current situation update for Ukraine. And I, I wish that I could give you more information on what was going on over there. And I, I read your guys' comments as far as the mapping goes, but there's, there's not that much to report as far as in my eyes, it's more important to give you guys this information and let you know specifically what's going on. And, you know, I was really touched by that comment that that lady had said yesterday, she doesn't want false hope. Well, neither do I. And I don't think neither do Americans or neither does anybody over in Europe or wherever the hell you're watching this video from. You don't want false hope that Ukraine is just going to go in and kick Russia's tomorrow. All right. I, I still believe that they're going to continue on with shaping operations. If they're going to try to make pushes, I think they're going to be ordered to continue to make pushes. But I, I don't believe they're going to get any terrain given the fact that they've lost 20% of their equipment, a third to half of their fighting force as far as this offensive goes. And the fact that they're up against all those minefields and they are under, they're outgunned. They're outgunned trying to assault through all of that that they're going for. So I don't, I, we're not going to see um, a, a very big gain in terrain as far as I'm concerned. I'll just go ahead and call that right now. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to call it right now. I think this counteroffensive is going to be a giant flop. I want to shift your guys' focus now over to. Um, a U.S. service member that's currently in custody, all right, a U.S. soldier is currently in custody in North Korea. If you were unaware of this story, you aren't going to be for very long. I'm going to pull up this video right here, and I'm going to, I'm going to let you play it. I can't remember who I ripped this off from, uh, who reported on it. Um, uh, it came from ABC News, okay? So I'm going to play this video for you, then I'm going to break it down and tell you exactly how a U.S. service member decided to get himself captured in North Korea. Tonight, a U.S. soldier crossing illegally into North Korea, now under detention by the communist regime. The Pentagon saying the servicemen crossed willfully and without authorization. We're closely monitoring and investigating the situation. I'm absolutely foremost concerned about the welfare of our troops. 
A US official telling ABC News 23-year-old Travis King had just spent 47 days in the South Korean jail following an altercation with locals. He was set to return to the US where he was likely to be discharged. There you go. So let's just go ahead and break this down. A young US service member spent 47 days in jail in South Korea. Now, what I found on it was that he had gotten some sort of an altercation. I don't know if he was out drinking or what he was doing, but he got in some sort of a fight, got arrested, spent 47 days in jail. He ends up going back to his unit and his unit is going to discipline him and probably kick him out of the army. In order to do that, they're going to send him back to the United States. They put him on a bus, they send him to the airport and they kick him out the bus or they, they drive him over. He's escorted to the airport and they kick him out and they tell him, get on the airplane and fly your butt home. The U.S. service member then starts walking around inside the airport and comes across a tour group that's going up to the DMZ, and he decides to jump in with that tour group and go up to the DMZ. DMZ is one of the most covered locations, highly surveilled, all right, as far as cameras and everything go. So he goes to the DMZ with this group, doesn't get on the airplane like he's supposed to, goes to the DMZ, um, starts taking a tour around it, and then they break off to, I guess, go a little bit close to the lines, and what's described in the videos is that he can he can be seen getting close to the line, turn around, kind of like laughing, and then basically run across into North Korea. Now, <laughs> well, I want to say we ought to spend a bunch of our national efforts recovering this service member. I look at this the same way I look at Bo Bergdahl back in the day. I don't want to see a single... U.S. service member killed trying to recover this guy. I don't want to see a single terrorist. I don't want to see any terrain. I don't want to see any concessions getting to North Korea whatsoever to get this service member back. That's a grown man choice. That's a grown man mistake. And we should not give North Korea the leverage over our country because one of our dumb privates that got arrested and spent almost two months in jail got told to get on an airplane, refused to get on the airplane, and then goes to the DMZ and then runs to North Korea in order to defect. That is probably one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. He is stupid, and our country should not waste a single wink of sleep attempting to recover him. That's Matt's opinions. That might not be the official speak the truth opinion. That might not be Rob's opinion. I don't care about this guy one tiny bit. If we spend any of our national treasure money, I don't want to see my tax dollars going. You know what? You want to defect to North Korea? You think it's better over there? Go. And hopefully he learns that it's not. I'm trying to remember the, the WNBA player, her name is something Granger, Grainer, I, I don't know. Anyways, when she got like thrown in jail in Russia for having pot, um, regardless of how you kind of feel about that, afterwards, after I don't care about your opinions on that, but what she learned... She, last I checked, she's standing for the national anthem now, and that was after being in Russian detention. That woman now stands for the national anthem. This guy thought it would be a good idea to run to another country and hide. And everybody in this country that wants to say, if Trump's elected, we're going to, you know, we're going to leave, we're going to another country, all that crap, go for it, man. Do it. Just do it. But don't count on us to bail you out when you get your ass arrested. I do have a quick video to show you on Trump. Um, that man said some stuff that just kind of how he gets away with doing what he does is beyond me. Period of less than one week, Joe Biden accidentally admitted 
that we're sending cluster bombs to Ukraine because the United States is running out of ammunition. I don't know how that works, but that's what he said. Then he called up reserve forces to ship them to Europe, proving that we are running out of troops, and that's also a fact. All right, so I'm all about fact-checking people. You guys fact-check me all the time. That's great. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to go ahead and fact-check former President Trump here. Joe Biden did not accidentally admit. He didn't accidentally admit it. He blatantly admitted it, and I covered it in that last video. I showed you. I hate politicians in general as a side passion of mine. I'm just not a big fan of them. Maybe hate's a strong word. I'm not a big fan of them. But for the love of God, don't twist things. Say it as it is. It drives us insane. America is getting sick of this crap. The world is getting sick of it, and we are turning into a laughing stock. I showed you the videos on Monday where Biden flat out admits that we had to send cluster munitions because of that. And then the former president decides to go and throw out, he mistakenly admitted it, or it was a brain slip, or he's stupid and he's old, whatever excuse you want to use for it. No, Biden did that on his own accord. And truthfully, I think that's worse than a brain slip. Just tell the truth, man. We can handle the truth. And that's what we strive to do here on this channel. I want to thank every single one of you for sticking with me on the Speak the Truth podcast. Like I said, Rob is going to be back. I haven't forgot about bringing Ryan on the show. We're still working on that technical issue and we will have it resolved here in the meantime. And, and truthfully, I'm tempted to wait for Rob to get back before we interview Ryan. I think Rob would be a great addition to that interview. And I think we're going to get some great insight as far as Ryan's concerned with the demining and everything that's going on over in Ukraine. It's amazing some of the stuff that I have heard from him talking to him about what's actually going on in that country. So thank you guys for sticking with us. I am your host, Matt Tardio. If you want to learn more from me, you can go over to Instagram. If you want to follow me on there at anger tab and G E R T a B. I am out. Peace, love, happiness, and God bless.